Welcome back to another edition of the Volunteer State. I am Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinels, Adam Sparks and John Adams. And it is approaching the third Saturday in October. And for the first time in quite some time, Tennessee enters this rivalry game against Alabama uh, with with shot a real shot and winning this thing. Uh, and that's not something you can say with a straight face in, in many, many years uh, past. Uh, John, set the, set the stage for us first here. I mean, you've, you've been around this program for a long, long time. How far do you have to go back to find an opportunity like Tennessee has this week against number one Alabama? Not just the opportunity, but the team – to maybe do something about it. Well, it's pre Nick Saban. Once Nick Saban uh, signed on with the Tide, it was game over. I mean, even the first game, Alabama had several players suspended. The announcements were made in the press box right before kickoff there at Bryant Denny Stadium, and it seemed like I can't remember. It seemed as though two starters. There was one fairly prominent player that was out. And I thought, wow, that's a that's a break for Tennessee. And then Alabama proceeded to just beat it to death. Um, so I'm trying to go back. You know, you go back when before Saban, when Tennessee was uh, got the best of Alabama during uh, during the '90s. But I remember, I'm trying to think of a game where both teams were ranked so high. And I go back in 19, let's see, '89. Um, Tennessee was six and Alabama was 10th. Tennessee was unbeaten. It had already beaten UCLA, Duke, Auburn, and Georgia. I, I mean, things were looking up and, uh, Alabama just whipped it. It beat it by about 17 points. Um, but that's going way back. Um, there just haven't been that many games really. Uh, once Saban took charge, it's kind of been, I don't think I've ever picked Tennessee to beat Alabama since Saban has been in charge. Maybe I did that first game. Adam, you were in, uh, Baton Rouge on Saturday and took in the, the scene there. And I, I mean, by the end of that game, Tennessee fans had taken over the place, right? It was like a like a home game or like a Vanderbilt road game, you might say. It was it was a home game for Tennessee. Uh, how how stunning, I guess, was that to see? Not that Tennessee won. Um, you know, I think that, that was not stunning. But, you know, we sat here, I guess it was a week ago, and thought, could this be a challenge for, for Tennessee? Um, what did you make of what you, we saw last weekend at LSU? Well, I mean, it was a... Uh... I mean, it, there was a statement made on the field um, because of that, that score was so lopsided. And e even for an early game, even though LSU is down, winning in Tiger Stadium is no small task, and, and winning by almost four touchdowns is no small task. There's also a statement made in, in the stands. Um, I mean, that, that place was cleared out. Uh, most of the LSU fans were leaving mid-third quarter. And then you started seeing them in droves at the start of the fourth. And that place was empty aside from Tennessee fans in the last three or four minutes. Um, 
So there was a statement made on the field and one made in the stands. The one in the stands is more, I think, this this feeling that Tennessee has. Uh, I said it a little tongue-in-cheek, but also with a little bit of seriousness in, in a column after that game, is that it feels, emphasis on feels, like 98. Now, obviously, that's sort of a tired trope that you know Tennessee fans have, have had for years, um, that it that it feels like 98. But the, the, the feeling I think that Tennessee has is this confidence. I'm talking about the fan base, this confidence that they can beat really, really good teams and they have a formula to beat really good teams. That that offense, you feel good about that going into any game. Um, the statement on the field, which really matters more and affects the one in the stands, uh, the statement on the field is is sort of pending because uh, a lot has been made early on that Tennessee has three wins over top 25 opponents, Pitt, Florida, LSU. The sort of the counter to that now is, well, but those aren't really top 25 teams. Yeah, they, they count that way because when you played them and when you beat them, they were in the top 25. But LSU is flawed. They should have probably never been ranked. They aren't good enough. Uh, Florida is flawed. They 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 shouldn't have been ranked either. And Tennessee exposed some of that. And Pitt is not what Pitt was last year. That's a preseason top twenty-five. That's not a, a legit top twenty-five. And so those those wins are being downgraded a little bit now. So the the statement to be made is sort of that next one. If you can beat Alabama, obviously this is a Tennessee team that's an SEC contender which means a playoff contender. Um, if you hang with Alabama in a close game, I, says, I think it says pretty similar, too, that you're a top-10 team if you can hang with Alabama. If you get beat by a wide margin by Alabama, it suddenly rewinds the clock and says, eh, what, it, what those wins were what we thought they were. They were good wins. They weren't over really high-ranked teams. And so I, I think there's sort of that narrative to be played with uh, this week, I will say, uh, sort of add, adding to what, what John said, this series and this losing streak is feels different than Florida uh, because Florida seemed more like a jinx. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the Urban Meyer years and the Tim Tebow years and all that, those are national title teams. Tennessee should have lost to them and they did. But then there were not so good Florida teams that Tennessee would still lose to. And so it felt more like a curse or a jinx, that losing streak. The one to Alabama, yeah, the first game was a surprise. But after that, it's pretty well explainable. You lost to Nick Saban, and everybody over the last 15 years is just about as lost to Nick Saban. So it's understandable. But this is the closest that Tennessee has gotten to saying we belong on the same field with a Nick Saban team. Yeah, the problem for Tennessee is they never had those years where they would beat Alabama. I mean, yes – most teams have usually lost to Alabama during the time Nick Saban has been there. But Ole Miss has beaten Alabama. Auburn's beaten Alabama. Uh, Texas A&M's beaten Alabama. LSU's beaten Alabama. You know, all these other programs occasionally will beat Alabama, and Tennessee never has since Saban's arrival in, in Tuscaloosa. And now, all of a sudden, even though Alabama's ranked number one in the coaches' poll, they're undefeated, um, you know, they came into this season, I think, uh, as the front runner to win the national championship. They've had a couple games already where they've looked vulnerable. It happened in Austin, Texas in, in week two. And then Bryce Young injures his shoulder in a victory against Arkansas, doesn't play last week, 
So they have the backup quarterback, Jalen Milrow, in. And Alabama looked, I mean, borderline awful, frankly. They played about as bad as you can play and still win a game. They had four turnovers. They missed a couple field goals. A&M had a play two yards from the end zone on the, on the game's final snap. They could have won the game. Alabama gets a defensive stop, which I actually think was good for Tennessee because you want the chance to beat the number one team. If, you, if you're going to end this streak, you might as well do it against number one. But point being, Alabama, especially if Bryce Young doesn't play, does not look invincible. Now, full disclosure, we record these podcasts early in the week, and as we record this, we don't know whether Bryce Young's going to play or not play. I will say, I was in Tuscaloosa on Saturday, and here was the scene. Bryce Young was on the field in uniform during pregame warm-ups. He was not, however, throwing passes during pregame warm-ups. You know, all the quarterbacks take snaps, and they throw passes. They go through go through their warm-ups, right? Bryce Young was in uniform, taking snaps, but he never threw a pass. Make of that what you will. Does that mean he has a serious shoulder injury? I don't know. Maybe there was just a pregame decision that Bryce Young was not going to play. He wasn't ready to play. Nick Saban didn't want to risk it. So why have him throw during warmups? Don't know what it means, but I just know he did not throw during warmups and Alabama did not look great without him. So how do you guys handicap this? Let's say uh, Young plays versus Jalen Milrow, the backup plays. How how do you handicap that, and, and how do you think that affects the matchup based on whether Alabama's Mr. Heisman's in the game and healthy? Well, when I when I look at it, Blake, it, there are several things that stick out to me. And, and one thing I really uh, look at with Alabama, no matter who the quarterback is, I think it's pass defense is vulnerable. I think it's secondary is overrated based on preseason all SEC teams and position rankings and that kind of thing. Nick Saban's best defenses have shut down corners, and he likes to play one-on-one, jam you at the line of scrimmage, and just out-athlete you. I don't think Alabama's doing that. You saw it against Texas A&M. You were right there when the Aggies going down the field in the last quarter with – Haynes King, the backup quarterback, uh, not 100% healthy, kind of moving very gingerly and and passed him down the field. And Alabama had two, uh, two key mistakes there. So even if Bryce Young plays, I think Alabama is vulnerable. But to me, if if you're to me, if Bryce Young doesn't play, then Tennessee should be favored on its home field with its offensive system going against Alabama's defense, which has been vulnerable to the past. You you were at the Texas game too, and you know what quarterback Quinn Ewers did in that first quarter. He picked Alabama apart and he was injured, didn't play the rest of the game. So I I would have I would favor Tennessee if Jalen Milrow plays. He he's not much of a passing threat, great athlete, but that's not what Alabama usually has at quarterback. So and Tennessee can stop the run. It's proved that. So I, I just I just think this it's a really good matchup for Tennessee. The if Bryce Young plays though, the one thing he gives Alabama besides a Heisman Trophy quarterback is a player who can Tom Brady like raise his game under pressure. He did that against Texas. He did it last year against Auburn. And so yeah, I would I would 
favor Alabama by maybe four or five points if if I knew Bryce Young would play and be a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, you know, as Blake, as you mentioned, as we record this, uh, we don't know all the injury updates. Um, I will say this week will be a master class probably with two coaches trying to uh, disguise injuries uh, and talk around injuries. Uh, Cedric Tillman, uh, Gerald Mincy, left tackle for Tennessee, uh, and then obviously Bryce Young for Alabama. We'll we'll hear this week um, we're evaluating, we're updating, we're monitoring, we're discussing – uh, everything's fluid. Every, we, we, you know, we just oh, yes. don't know. We, we we just don't know. It's <laughs> you know, it, it, it could it, go it, either you way. might get an answer late in the week. You know, these answers always tend to happen like maybe Thursday or Friday. And amazingly, that's after the final media availability has has occurred. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's you, always these these coaches are always trying to get it in at the last minute. They're saying, guys, I, this is the last time I'm going to talk to you. And I got. I really want to tell you. I really want to tell you if these guys are going to play or not. I'm trying to squeeze it in, but I don't. I, oh, you know, look at there. That's the end of my my media availability. Sure <laughs> enough, mi- missed it. <laughs> I, I'm going to know five minutes from now. Unfortunately, by then, you guys are not going to be in front of me. It always happens that way. It's terrible timing. Um, <laughs> need need better team doctors. That's that's what's really what's needed. Um, uh, uh, so the I mean, gauging how this will be played based on injuries. Uh, I mean, if Bryce Young plays and is healthy, uh, I think the line, you know, should be about a touchdown to ma- to maybe ten points. Um, Alabama's a better team with him out there, certainly, and can stretch the field better. It's just, um, it's more of an isolated, narrow game plan for. It's a protective game plan for Alabama if he's not out there. And we saw that in the A and M game. Is that if if Bryce Young is playing, Alabama has a wide open playbook and they can be the aggressor. If Jalen Milrow is playing, they have to protect leads. They have to protect themselves from from themselves, from that quarterback, uh, and they have to be careful. And uh, Tennessee is not not that way. Tennessee is the aggressor. We saw that in the LSU game. So far, the difference between this Tennessee team and past teams is that Tennessee goes in as the team that's going to set the pace and the tempo and how games are going to go. You've got to match what they do uh, to win the game. Uh, if Alabama has Bryce Young, they can take that aggressive approach and they can maybe do it better than Tennessee. If not, then Alabama is suddenly on the defensive and that, that that's a chance for Tennessee to win this game. Uh, you can't be protective in this game and, and win it. And that goes for either team. Uh, if, 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 so if Milrose playing um, instead of Bryce Young, if he's out, it's, yeah, Tennessee's probably a mild favorite, I would say, for all those reasons I just said. I wonder if the truth is going to be in between, which is Bryce Young plays, but he's not 100%. And that's going to be something for Tennessee to to, to monitor closely, um, to monitor whether or not he can stretch the field, if he can throw on the run like he usually can, because that could limit things uh, quite a bit. Tennessee played really well against the run. They had a good pass rush against LSU. If this is a game played for Tennessee's defense, if it's played in the box and very concentrated, uh, they can they can win that type of game on the defensive side, and then they can just outscore Alabama. But if the field is much bigger for Alabama, that's where that's where you could run into some problems for Tennessee. And the difference of those are the two quarterbacks. 
Yeah, it. I, I'm kind of with you, Adam. As as we record this early in the week, if if I were to cast my my vote here, I would say Bryce Young plays, but plays at you know maybe less than than a hundred percent. It was interesting late in that Alabama game. They were up twenty four twenty against Texas A and M, a Texas A and M team that really had not showed a ton of offensive life. Big surprise, right? Throughout that game, that the Aggies only crossed midfield twice in the whole first half. And they were both on possessions where they'd already they started across midfield. They recovered Jalen Milrow fumbles, so they they had short fields and they converted on touchdowns. Uh, so anyway, it's twenty four twenty late. Alabama has the ball with three and a half minutes left. They could go on a drive to ice the game. Instead, they hand the ball off three times in a row and punt it back to Texas A and M. Almost, you know, almost telling you. We trust our offense, or we trust our defense to get one more defensive stop here, rather than we trust our quarterback to complete a pass uh, without, you know, turning the ball over and and putting this game on on ice. They they, they would not let Jalen Milrow throw the ball uh, there in that situation. They they put it in their hands uh, of their defense and it and it worked. But it was just interesting uh, to see that from an Alabama team, particularly in this day and age uh, where they've had. Tua, they've had Mac Jones, they've had Bryce Young. Here was a chance for them to get a first down uh, and and put the game away. And they said, no, we're gonna we're gonna run it three times in a row, punt and and turn it back to our defense. So now on the other side of the ball, Tennessee's offense, um, you know, particularly their run game, looked great against LSU. Hendon Hooker was solid. wasn't his best game of the year, uh, but it was solid enough. And and the run game just took over. Now Alabama has a Really, really good pass rush. Uh, we all know about Will Anderson. He harassed Haynes King throughout the night Saturday, um, hurried several passes, put several hits on Haynes King. They also have uh, Dallas Turner, uh, Chris Braswell. I mean, they had, they're they at no shortage of pass rushers. One thing you say about Tennessee, though, you know, LSU also rushes the quarterback pretty well. And Hinton Hooker absorbed one big hit, but he was never sacked. He, he really wasn't hit that much. Tennessee's offense under Josh Heupel is designed to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands pretty quickly. And Hinton Hooker is usually pretty effective about that. He gets the ball out of his hands quickly. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Hasn't thrown an interception this season. I think those are ingredients uh, for some success that give you hope, even against a a defense as talented as Alabama's that has a pass rush as good as Alabama's. Yeah. I mean, this Tennessee offense, I think even more so than last year, looks like it has more counter punches. I thought last year it is, is very good. Um, but most of what it did was just tempo. Um, you go fast, you get ahead of people, you, you wear them out, you win the game. Um, this year, it seems like there's just, more of a counterpunch of if you're going to rush us, uh, we're going to go to the quick game, wide receiver screens. Um, Brew McCoy, I think, has been very effective in that. He's a he's a really strong runner after the catch. Um, they've hit balls over the top. Jalen Hyatt, as we talked about in the preseason, um, Jalen Hyatt out of the slot is different than Valus Jones Jr. Um, he's he's not a quick twitch guy that gets it over the middle and and, and runs with it. He is a run past your your nickel back and your safety type guy. And we saw that in the LSU game. He just sprinted right past LSU secondary. So so there's 
there's secondary and tertiary things they can do if, if plan A doesn't work. Um, and they're going to have to go to that. Uh, you know, yeah, the pass rush is pass rush was, I mean, was, like you said, it's really good pass rushers. Ojolari, especially at LSU. And th they just couldn't get there to Hendon Hooker, mostly because of that quick game. Um, and so I, I feel like there's uh, just more sort of cards in the back pocket for Josh Heupel and Alex Gullish, the OC, than there certainly was last year. And so I think that's maybe why there's a little bit more confidence in this game. I, I think in-game adjustments have been far better this year because Tennessee feels like they have a, a, a bigger hand dealt to them. I've also, uh, against LSU, I was really impressed with LSU, with Tennessee's run game. I wrote a column last week about how in LSU's five-game winning streak against Tennessee, it had absolutely doubled uh, Tennessee's run production, completely dominated the run game. And Tennessee, for all of LSU's flaws, it's got a pretty good front seven. Not great, but it's pretty good. It would help it if, if it had Mason Smith, the star defensive tackle who was in, injured in the first game against Florida State, but it's still pretty good. And Tennessee lined up and ran the ball on him. I, I just thought that was that was significant. One more thing about Alabama's pass rush. I think Tennessee really protects Hendon Hooker well because he gets rid of the ball so fast. It's a it's a system like protection. However, I don't want Will Anderson hitting my quarterback. If if I were Tennessee, I mean, I mean even if he doesn't get a sack, even if he didn't I, I, I just think he hits his hits, I think, linger more than everybody else's. And one thing I noticed, uh, Blake, in, in the game you were covering against Texas AM, a lot of guys get really frustrated when they can't get to the passer. And you're getting double teamed and you you just kind of back off a little bit. And I thought he did that against Texas until the very end of the game, but he didn't do that against AM. He was relentless. Even though he couldn't get to the quarterback every time, he kept coming, and I expect to see more of that against Tennessee. But you just don't want him hitting your quarterback. That, that's a good point, John. It's not all just about the sacks numbers in, in a game. It's yeah, how many hits is, is your uh, is your star quarterback taking? Good good point. And I think mounting mounting a run game is is important for Tennessee, right? They, they did a great job of it against LSU. As you mentioned, John, you wrote about that coming into the game. And that's a way you can kind of help neutralize a pass rush a lot of times is if you're if you're running it right up the middle, that sometimes gives those guys pause, at least maybe for a second, come, coming off the edge if they think you're going to hand it off uh, up the middle. Adam, you mentioned the ramifications for this game, and it's, it's interesting because for Tennessee getting to Atlanta in the SEC championship game, this game doesn't matter that much, really. I mean, you could lose to Alabama and still have everything in front of you in terms of getting to Atlanta. You beat Georgia and run the table elsewhere, Tennessee's going to Atlanta. You lose to Georgia, and, I mean, Georgia's not losing to anybody other than Tennessee on its schedule at this point, right? I mean, that would be that would be pretty surprising. I know we could say Kentucky. Well, I mean, Mississippi State is yeah, still Mississippi lurking. Mississippi State, maybe. Yeah, Mississippi State's lurking on, on Georgia's schedule, so maybe we shouldn't close the book on it yet. But really, in 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 many ways, the, the Georgia game is the more important game in getting to Atlanta because they're the team in your division. You have the head-to-head -head tiebreaker, all of that. Uh, in terms of the playoffs, though, this is a huge game. I mean, we're, we're talking about Tennessee now as a fringe 
playoff contender. Well, all of a sudden, you beat Alabama. You're not a fringe playoff contender anymore. You are just in the playoff contention. Uh, Tennessee would move into the top four in the polls uh, if they beat Alabama. But beyond SEC championship ramifications, beyond playoff ramifications, what do you guys see as sort of the meaning? What, what would a win in this game mean for Tennessee beyond, like I said, some of the, some of the obvious there? Well, I mean, you would, you would, you would stop the, the Nick Saban onslaught, I think, which, which means a lot. You would bring this rivalry back to being a rivalry. Um, it would certainly make next year's game very interesting. Um, it would, I mean, it, it would, it would turn the season into sort of just a, a frenzied atmosphere really until the Georgia game. And then depending on how that went after that, um, it would elevate Josh Heupel to, um, to a, a level obviously that none of these coaches since Phil Fulmer has had, I'm not to say he would reach the Phil Fulmer uh, level, but any of those since then, obviously, um, it would it would make I mean if Tennessee wins this game Hinden Hooker uh, Hinden Hooker would have to play well for them to win this game so if you come out of this Hinden Hooker would be maybe the Heisman front runner him and C J Stroud would be neck and neck uh, Tennessee would be right smack dab in the middle of the playoff uh, talk and the SEC title talk um, and then and then long term it would just elevate everything I mean. You think about what this could do. I mean, I think now we can say, but earlier in the season, we said maybe the floor was seven and five, eight and four. The ceiling for this season was 10 and two. I think now the floor is probably 10 and two. And if you win this game, the ceiling is 12 and 0. And that's legitimate if you win this game. Um, and And if that's the case, even if we're talking about the floor being 10 and two, that then says next spring practice when Nico gets here and Hinton Hooker's gone and you have some new players and all that, it suddenly turns Josh Hopple's tenure into, hey, we're sort of done going to the Music City Bowl and winning seven games. Now every year you your best years are in contention for the SEC title and your worst years are you're you're eight and four and you're going to a a florida based bowl that that's that's how the all the that's the, how the trajectory will change if you win this game the floor lifts up much much higher and, and the ceiling does as well i think back to clemson when it was emerging as a superpower in college football uh did it with a lot of offense uh, arrived on the scene it just became a hot team a hot team in recruiting uh, Dabo Sweeney, the coach, looked like a lot of fun to play for, and everything just took off. I could kind of envision that with Tennessee if it wins this game. You beat Alabama, and you've got uh, instant credibility. It doesn't matter. You can you can quibble about Tennessee's other victories over nationally ranked teams, that maybe those teams were overrated, but Alabama's different. So all of a sudden, you're perceived differently, and I think you would be perceived differently in recruiting. Tennessee already has a couple of things going for it in recruiting under Heupel. His offensive system is surpassing just about everybody's right now. So he's got the offensive guru thing going for him. Then 
you look at the atmosphere that we're going to have Saturday night in Neyland Stadium, that will sell a few more recruits because it's going to be loud, wild, and Neyland Stadium will be packed. And so uh, I just think it it puts Tennessee up on a different level. And it and even if it does, even if it would doesn't make the college football playoff, I think beating Alabama would set it apart. Say maybe it lost to Georgia later in the year. Uh, and maybe it was a, an upset somewhere we never saw coming. I just think it puts it on a different level, and where that could matter most is in recruiting. And, and by the way, on top of this, the there's some uh, – I'm, I'm probably writing about this this week, is that the story with Tennessee right now is talent – Tennessee and Alabama is talent versus system, right? Alabama is loaded with five-star players. Tennessee is not, but it has this system, Josh Hopple's offense, this seems to be sort of a neutralizer, an equalizer. Um, and if Tennessee were to win this game, or even if Tennessee loses a nail-biter, th- the narrative then turns toward, uh, hey, t- you know, Tennessee's offense, there's no, there's, no, uh, there's no counter to Tennessee's offense. Tennessee's offense can beat Alabama. Tennessee's offense can match up against Nick Saban, and that then becomes a – a problem potentially for, for Alabama in future games. Well, and, and to that point, guys, I mean, John, you mentioned Heupel being a offensive guru. That's, that's being talked about now. And, and Adam, you were discussing the, the system and um, John and I talked about this on, on our other podcast, SEC football unfiltered. Um, when you think about like coaching nemesis, a coaching nemesis for Nick Saban, guys that have beat him, not just in a one-off, but that have beat him multiple times at Alabama. Hugh Freeze comes to mind at Ole Miss. Beat Nick Saban a couple times. That was sort of the beginning of kind of the, um, you know, the, the quarterbacks who throwing it around the yard, the tempo, uh, quarterbacks who could run it a little bit uh, as well as pass it. And, and, you know, Ole Miss was scoring points. They had tempo. Uh, they beat Alabama two times. And then you had Gus Malzahn at Auburn who beat Alabama three times. Now, I know... You know, Auburn fans were tired of Gus Malzahn by the end, and at times they were tired of him probably when they shouldn't have been tired of him. But Gus Malzahn, when he came to Auburn, had a cutting-edge system. Uh, it was really like the the triple option on steroids almost. You know, It was triple option with your quarterback in the backfield and, or quarterback in the shotgun, uh, and oh, by the way, he can throw it too. And, and yes, Gus Malzahn beat Nick Saban three times before he was fired at at Auburn. So it's not just like good players are required to beat Alabama. You know, last year in the national championship, Georgia had a ton of good players, probably had the best team in the nation. And, and in the end did have the best team in the nation, I guess they won the national championship Clemson, you know, the couple of years that they beat Alabama, in the national championship had great teams, but also we've seen coaches, you know, with these, these kind of ahead of their time systems, I guess you could say uh, with Hugh freeze at Ole Miss with Gus Malzahn at Auburn and now you have Josh Heupel at Tennessee pushing the envelope with with what he's doing on on offense. Yeah, Blake. I, I, I you know, when you think about that, there have been very few teams out talent Alabama. You mentioned the uh, the LSU team that won the national title three years ago. I mean, that was. I, it would be curious how many players off those two teams are in the NFL now. 
there are a lot of them. I mean, so many wide receivers. Uh, but LSU out-talented Alabama on the, in that game, and we saw it with Clemson. But that's just – you can't say, okay, uh, how are we going to get past Alabama? If you're an SEC team, how are we going to make it Alab- past Alabama and win the SEC championship? You can't say, well, we'll just out-recruit them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> maybe Georgia can do that, but it's about the only one right now. And you look at the rankings this year or just about any other year. But you're right, the system. I mean, Hugh Freeze did a lot with tempo when he was at Ole Miss. He ran that up-tempo offense. He had a running quarterback, as Tennessee has. And uh, we also have, um, when, when you go back to a game that Alabama won, but I think the game turned a lot of heads. I guess it was in 2020 when it beat Ole Miss something like 63 to 48. It could not slow down Ole Miss's offense. Ole Miss lost in the game, but Alabama had no, no, uh, it just couldn't stop it. it. It had no remedy for that offense. And you know, Ole Miss didn't have the same athletes that Alabama did. So I think to me, this really raises Tennessee's stock because people just look at Tennessee as a system. When you play Tennessee now, teams are, I just read a story where somebody wrote from an Alabama perspective. Well, you won't beat Tennessee with 24 points. I mean, the word is out. You better plan on scoring a lot of points if you're going to beat Tennessee. All right, guys, it's the 3.30 CBS game of the week. ESPN's College Game Day is going to be in town. Probably everybody is going to be in town on Saturday. As as, uh, Alabama's backup quarterback turned starter, Jalen Milrow said after the Texas A&M game, he was asked about what he expected. Uh, the atmosphere to be like inside Neyland Stadium. And Milrow said, quote, I know it can get crazy, and you better believe it is going to be cranked up to the max on Saturday. Adam will have all the coverage throughout the week and on game day at knoxnews.com. John and I uh, will have the commentary, and we will be back here to discuss next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.